Well, God bless you, my friends. Um, we're still in the introduction part of Ecclesiastes. I am thoroughly enjoying this. As I have told you on many occasions, I love to go to the Goodwill, especially on Wednesdays, which is Senior Day, hint, hint. Um, and I love to buy books. And I was going to the Goodwill. Uh, Janie and I went to the Goodwill Wednesday, and I found a book on Ecclesiastes. First time I've ever found one. I'm really enjoying it. And uh, But I'm also using Wearsby. And today I want to just, again... Um, what's your appetite for Ecclesiastes? I know I keep saying that, but uh, we'll get into Ecclesiastes tomorrow. But I, I really want to get into uh, Adam Wearsby's breakdown of the book. And so this is from uh, Wearsby's Bible Commentary, Warren W. Wearsby. And this is from the Old Testament, obviously, because we're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of the teacher, the book of... Um, um, Solomon uh, later in his life writing about his life. But I want to I want to just give credit where credit is due. I am totally using Wearsby as a as a breakdown um, to help us to understand this book. So let's get into it. And I'm just going to read a few things and hopefully I can get through this um, and help you get a notepad uh, handy. You don't necessarily have to have your Bible. You can write these verses down and look them up later. I'm just going to give you an overview. Okay. The aim of the book. Solomon has put the key to Ecclesiastes right at the front door in verse one. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What profit hath a man um, of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? Obviously, um, Wiersbe uses the King James here. And this is chapter one, verses two and three. And then just in case we missed it, he uses this term again in chapter 12, verse 8. Solomon introduces some of the key words and phrases, and we want to look at them. Vanity to vanities. You heard that a couple times right up front. Uh, he used this word 38 times in the book. And the Hebrew word is hevel, H-E-V-E-L, and it means emptiness, futility, and vapor. And oh, doesn't that fit what's going on in our society today? People are searching for everything. And can I tell you, I believe they're searching for truth. And you and I have that truth in Jesus Christ. Uh, you and I need to understand that people are seeking it out. And they don't need you to know every scripture. They just need you to be able to share the reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and with fear. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And so uh, just a couple of scriptures and say, you know what? That's a great question. I'll look that up for you. Um, they'll appreciate your honesty and your humility. So they're looking. Whether Solomon is considering his wealth, his works, his wisdom, his women, his world, Solomon comes to the same uh, sad conclusion, all is vanity and vexation of spirit, chapter 2 and verse 11. Now, this is a depressing book. If you're looking at it as if uh, Solomon's kind of writing a suicide note, and he's not, what he's saying is everything that he has tried in his life although it has it has given him temporary joy and temporary pleasure, has led to vanity. Another terminology you'll hear, actually, too, under the sun and under heaven. 26 times he'll, he'll use the term under the sun, which is kind of a human viewpoint. As I'm looking at it from a human viewpoint, and I'm looking at my labors or my work or all of those things that are attached to the ground, and three times he uses the term under the uh, heaven, which which seems to apply uh, something more uh, um, of a divine outlook uh, from God's perspective. Um, we, we need to study and we need to look at this viewpoint because there are two things that are going on in his life. He's trying to look back at his life and he's 
discussing so many things from a human viewpoint, which we do. We look back and we go, this was a waste or this seemed good or this was okay. And we look at things and then we need to look from a spiritual perspective or a heavenly perspective down from, if you will, from God's vantage point through scripture. What does all of this really amount to? Uh, Let me read this from G. Campbell Morgan um, uh, talking about Solomon's outlook. And again, this is in Wearsby's book. This is not me. This man had been living through all of those experiences under the sun and under heaven, concerned with nothing above the sun until there came a moment in which he had to see the whole of life. And there was something over, over the sun. It is only as a man takes account of that which is over the sun as well as that which is under the sun, the things under the sun are seen in their true light. This is a, a great quotation. I'll probably use it again. When, when Solomon looks at everything under the sun and doesn't look at the things from above the sun, he only sees them through human perspective or human vantage point. But when he allows himself to look and to go back and to trace the things that God had spoken to him, the things that God had showed him, the things that God had promised him, he changes his perspective. But again, he only uses in the entire book of Ecclesiastes three times that terminology under heaven. And we will look at them um, as we get into this. Uh, They're found in chapter one, verse 13, chapter two, verse three, chapter three, verse one. Another word that he uses is the word prophet. Um, The Hebrew word is yitron, Y-I-T-R-O-N, and it's usually translated prophet. Uh, But in Ecclesiastics, it it actually stands for a little bit more, maybe um, a little bit. Um, It is used nowhere else in the Old Testament, and its basic, basic meaning is that which is left over. So that which is left over in a financial sense is uh, your assets or something that you gained or your profit. But in this terminology, what he is saying is what is left over of all of these things that I've invested in in my life. In the light of all the puzzles and programs of life, what is the advantage of living? Is there any gain? Is there any profit? He uses the word labor. At least 11 different words are used um, uh, to describe labor, but this one is the word amal, A-M-A-L, used 23 times in Ecclesiastics. It means to toil to the point of exhaustion and yet experience little or no fulfillment in your life. It carries with it the ideas of grief, mis- misery, frustration, and weariness. Can you just feel this as he speaks this? Um, he uses this word for there is nothing that I got out of all of my labors. It was all in vain. And God tells us uh, that what we do in the Lord in 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Can you see these two uh, diametrically opposed ideas? When you look from man's point of view and you've invested everything, your life into what you think matters and you get to the end and you think nothing mattered. But when we invest our lives in Christ first, First uh, Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Nothing that we do is in vain. Then he uses the term man, which is this familiar word Ad- Adam. You know that's where Adam got his name A D A M man, and it refers to man as made from the earth. Of course, man is made in the image of God, but he came from the earth and he returns to the earth after death. And Solomon used this term, this word, 49 times as he examined man under the sun. And again, man under the sun in a human viewpoint rather than under heaven from a godly perspective. He uses the word evil. This word is used 31 times. 
31 times in the King James Version. It is the opposite of good, obviously, and it covers a multitude of things. It's not just doing evil. It is pain. It is sorrow. It is hard circumstances, and it is distress, and it is one of King Solomon's favorite words for describing life, again, as he sees it, under the sun or from a human perspective. I hope some of this is helping you and will help you as we get into Ecclesiastes. I hope it's whetting your appetite to study this on your own. All I can do in podcast is to give you a little feel for things, and I hope it inspires you to get into Ecclesiastes for yourself. This is the first time that I can remember in 40 years of ministry that I've ever studied Ecclesiastes. Can you believe that? That's crazy. 44 books in or excuse me, 66 books in the Bible, and I have run over Ecclesiastes many times and not even stopped. Joy, in spite of his painful encounters with the world and its problems, Solomon does not recommend either pessimism or cynicism. He's not running from one end to the other, although it appears this way as we get into this, but he tells us to accept God's gift and to enjoy them. God has many gifts and God gave Solomon many gifts and then Solomon took what God gave him and he kind of gave himself. No, he didn't kind of, he gave himself many, many, many other things that were not from God and he was not supposed to to be involved in them. Solomon does not say eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. He didn't say that. Instead, he advises us to trust God and to enjoy what we do um, do have rather than complain about what we don't have. And none of us, especially me, are ever guilty about complaining what we don't have. Moving right along. Wisdom. Wisdom, since it is... um, It is one of the Old Testament wisdom books. Uh, um, Ecclesiastes would have something to say about both wisdom and folly. And there are at least 32 references to fools and folly uh, and at least uh, 54 to wisdom. You would expect that from the wisest man supposedly who ever lived. He applied this wisdom as he sought to understand the purpose of life again under the sun. Remember, it was on multiple occasions, 26 of them in Ecclesiastes 12 chapters that he mentions under the sun from a human perspective. And only three times does he mention it from a heavenly perspective. And those three times that he mentions from the heavenly perspective are at the beginning of this book or at the beginning as he talks about his walk with God. So you can see that Solomon went astray. But according to both of these authors, T.M. Moore in the book of Ecclesiastes and Wearsby, they both believe um, that Solomon made his way back to God and God shined a light for him to get back to him. In fact, in the end, um, he says this in uh, chapter 12, verse 13, fear God and keep his commandments. Remember, the king was given an order to memorize the, the books of the law. And he would have his own parchment. He would have his own um, scroll of the law that he was supposed to read every day. And he was supposed to keep it with him on his throne. And he was supposed to have it handy. And obviously many kings did not. Uh, He mentions God. God mentions, uh, Solomon mentions God 40 times and always using Elohim and never Jehovah. And this is important. You can write this down. Elohim means God in 
in the, in the English Bible is the mighty God, the glorious God of creation who exercises sovereign power. Jehovah or Lord in caps in the English Bible is the God of the covenant, the God of revelation who is eternally sufficient and yet graciously relates himself to sinful man. Since Solomon is dealing exclusively with what he sees under the sun, he uses the word Elohim. He uses the word Elohim rather than the creator God uh, or the uh, uh, rather than Jehovah, he uses um, Elohim. Um, and so we'll understand this a little bit more and we'll make this a little bit more clear. Solomon was the ideal person to write this book for he had great possessions, wealth, wisdom, opportunities, and necessary to carry out the experiments required for this investigation into the meaning of life. God did not make King Solomon a disobey just so he could write this book. And he does not make you and I disobey so that we can have something to, to, to tell. Our tests become a testimony, because, but when we fail, we fail because we fail to ask God for help and to submit to him and to fall into in line with his direction, his guidance, which, by the way, is always available in the word of God. People have told me many times, God's not speaking to me. And I say to them, how often are you opening up, opening up the word? God speaks to us through his word. John 1, 1 says, the word was with God, was God, is God, and the word, 14, was made flesh and dwelt among us. Those two verses, John 1, 1, 1, John 1, 14, will tell you that Jesus, the word of God, wrapped himself in human flesh and came down to our level. What God does that? Only our God comes to us. In other religions that, that talk about God, they talk about multiple gods, or they always talk about us having to, 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 to crawl to him or to crawl to that God, to earn our way to that God. And yet God came to us. I'm excited about this study, as you can tell. And I'm hoping that I'm whetting your appetite. And I promise you, I promise you, Tomorrow we get into Ecclesiastes chapter one. Let me pray for us. Numbers chapter six, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you. Give you peace. Love you big. Stay safe.